This time on The Brothers Mysterium. And uh, today we're going to mix it up, do something a little different, what we call the Mysterium Bros Q&A. Right, so these people are all killing in the name of Slenderman. You know, their uncle was driving through a town when these small kids came up and they, you know, had all black eyes and white skin and they disappeared on them. Wiltshire, England, the center of the crop circle phenomenon. If this is the only spot in the universe where life happened to exist and we're it... That's a scary thought. I do not think superstitions are real. These materialization seances, they were called. This is the story of how a ghost walked through my dream. My brother and I have always been intrigued by the unexplainable. Like many, we're fascinated with stories of the supernatural, fringe science, and modern-day mysteries. Though we've seen no first-hand proof of its existence, our minds remain open to the possibility. Unsatisfied with the so-called evidence on television and the internet, we are choosing to take matters into our own hands and conduct our own interviews and research. Now we're on a quest to speak with as many people as we can and hear the stories of these events from those who have lived them. No Hollywood effects or exaggerations and no hidden agenda. We invite you to listen and decide what and who you believe. We are the Brothers Mysterium. Welcome to the Brothers Mysterium. I am Tommy, alongside, as always, my brother Eric. Heyo. And uh, today we're going to mix it up, do something a little different. We've had a bunch of interviews uh, in the past couple episodes, breaking down different topics. And as we've put out a few episodes, we've gotten some cool feedback, some interactions, some people giving us subjects they want our opinion on or topics they want us to discuss. So we're kind of going to do a little mishmash, a couple different topics in today's episode and what we call the Mysterium Bros Q&A. That stands for questions and answers, for those of you who've never heard of a Q&A. Boom, the, the first mystery solved. Uh, so, let's jump right into it, eh? All right. The Brothers Mysterium Q&A. Okay, so we got one email from Brian S., who was asking us, what are your thoughts on Slender Man? Does he exist? And that's what he asked us. Okay. So Wikipedia does a good job of defining Slender Man, so I'm just going to quickly read this. Slender Man is depicted as resembling a thin, unnaturally tall man with a blank and usually featureless face wearing a black suit. Stories of Slender Man commonly feature him stalking, abducting, or traumatizing people, mainly children. Slender Man, from what I know, is, uh, I guess, a guy that was going around killing children. Ah, Slender Man, real. I don't know. Some people have reported seeing him before. You see him in alleys framed in windows and doors. You see him over people's shoulders. He's faceless, often portrayed in a dark suit with octopus-like tentacles. Slender Man is believed to haunt children and those who look to expose him. First of all, I don't think he exists. He's a fictional character. Right. And I'm 100% positive of that. Basically, it's sort of an internet phenom, uh, and it's actually an internet creation that you can track back to its origin and prove that it's not real. And he was created by Something Awful Forms user Eric Knudsen, whose handle was Victor Surge in 2009. So basically, he created this character, which has since gone on to become popular. People like to Photoshop their own pictures of, you know, 
a black and white photo with the tall skinny guy in a suit lurking in the background and they're kind of creepy looking but they're, they're meant to be real yeah, it's People supposed try to and pass them off as like actual photos. Exactly. Slenderman was born on the internet in 2009, and since then, there's been quite an amount of people claiming to have seen one. With this being said, prepare because here are five Slenderman caught on camera and spotted in real life. It's kind of like an urban legend on the internet of sorts that picked up steam because more and more people did it and it's you know slightly creepy you can google them and you'll find a bunch of images that's what i'm doing right now actually i've never seen one of these so I'm yeah, take a gander it. but it, i mean whenever you can like trace the origin to something like that to me it proves right away that it's not like there's a guy out there who's like oh yeah i created it on this forum uh right and- just as a quick aside and that says something about our day and age too is that all these legends and thing, things like that that we have now they all were invented in the past. It's, it's really difficult, I feel, for a new legend to spring up in this day and age for precisely that reason. Like, now you can track everything. and like Indeed. And I mean, to me, uh, it sort of reminds me of like uh, Bloody Mary almost, which is, uh, or even like the Candyman, which is back in the day, people used to, young kids would, you know, go in front of a mirror, turn out the lights, and you say Bloody Mary however many times. Bloody Mary. And then supposedly, uh, you know, you'll see this vision, this person, you know, appear in the mirror where then they're going to steal your soul. They're going to do something. And there was like a a movie that came out called Candyman. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. And I remember people saying, if you stare in front of the mirror and say, Candyman, Candyman, you, you know, you'll start hearing bees or the mirror will start moving or something. If you look in the mirror and you say his name five times, he'll appear behind you, breathing down your neck. Candyman. 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 <laughs> Yeah, South Park did the episode with uh, when you stand in front of the mirror and say Biggie Smalls, the ghost of Biggie Smalls will appear. I truly love to brush my teeth. Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. What the f*** is this? We told you to be in bed. What are you doing? Assuming Biggie Smalls, the hip-hop rapper. You had a nightmare. Turn around and get back in your room right now. But Dad is going to bust a cap in my ass. Wait, you want to get shot or you want to be grounded? Going back to what you said about uh, the Candyman being a movie, that's traceable. Clive Barker wrote a short story called The Forbidden, and they made that into a movie. Uh, That is true. Bloody Mary, I mean, I know Bloody Mary uh, is based off of mary um is it no it's mary the first of england who was the sister of queen elizabeth during her reign um all right her younger brother edward the sixth was king and he was a protestant uh he died young and then mary the first became queen of england and she changed the entire religion of england from protestantism back to catholicism and put the whole country under the authority of the pope again and pretty much had all these people killed as heretics because they were Protestants and not Catholics. So that's why she's called Bloody Mary, because of the number of people she had killed during her her brief reign. And as I mentioned, kind of when we were kids, it was like the cool thing to do was turn out all the lights, stand in front of the mirror, 
starts saying it and supposedly her face will appear in front of you. Uh, and as we always try to approach things from a scientific aspect, uh, that's actually called the Caputo effect. And by staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room, you may eventually cause a hallucination. Facial features may appear to melt or disappear, or other hallucinations, such as faces, may appear in the mirror. Uh, that is the Caputo effect, and it's believed to be a consequence of sensory deprivation, causing the brain's facial recognition system to misfire. Right, like a, I think a, like a lack of light getting into your pupils. Exactly. Yeah. And people say it's kind of like Troxler's fading or self-hypnosis, where it's you're staring there, your eyes are open, it's dark, you're seeing your own reflection, which starts kind of morphing just because you haven't, you know, like they said, it's sensory deprivation. So that kind of explains that. That's another thing that I tried a lot in my youth. Never really saw anything. I actually remember, I have some good stories about that. I remember the first time I ever encountered that was um, at a, a Catholic school where I remember when I was young, um, all, was it behind the stage? Right. And, yeah. Yeah. All, all all these guys, all my siblings, um, all played in basketball teams and whatnot. So I was constantly at these games, uh, kind of hanging out with the other siblings of players who didn't play basketball. So we kind of would just run amok around this Catholic school and actually multiple Catholic schools while the parents were all watching the game. And I remember there was this area behind the one stage where it was completely dark and there was this giant full body mirror. And I remember. Uh, I forget who was there if it was just a bunch of random kids because you, you would kind of form like these rad tag group of friends while you were at these games. And I remember the one kid was, you know, talking about the Bloody Mary thing. And we were all standing there in, the, in this Catholic school in this dark, dark area where there, I think there was just like this red light of it, like uh, an exit light to cast like this like bloody red glow on the whole area. And I remember him standing in front of the mirror and trying this and just being like, this, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> And then uh, another time I remember uh, with Danny, Danny's our other brother, another brother, Mysterium, uh, and he brought us into the bathroom and made us block out all the light. And I remember like, like he was standing in the mirror, like prepping himself to do this while you and I were attempting to like stuff like blankets under the door and like block out the window on the light. Sounds about right. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, I don't remember him saying Bloody Mary. He said something about contacting Frankenstein's ghost. Maybe he was trying his own his own take. Yeah, on it. I don't know. I think he was trying to freak us out. Is what he was trying to do. Because I remember I remember not staying for that entire thing too. I was probably like five or six at the time, and I remember being like, "Again, f this," <laughs> and it got right out of there. So yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of weird stuff with mirrors that go on, but I guess that was sort of the equivalent to our Slenderman, where I think it's sort of like a thing that kids get into. Yeah, but this one got out of hand at some point. ABC News exclusive. You're going to meet a young woman with an extraordinary story of survival. She was the victim of a crime that shocked parents everywhere. So uh, on May 31st, 2014, two 12 year old girls in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which I probably said the name of that town wrong, uh, held down and stabbed a 12 year old classmate 19 times. She appears to be stabbed. She appears to be what? Stabbed. Stabbed? Correct. Waukesha, Wisconsin, just outside Milwaukee. And on a Saturday morning this past May, a horrific tale, it's just beginning to emerge. The victim was able to crawl out of the woods where she had been left, and she made it to the roadside 
And due to the intervention of a passing cyclist, the victim survived the attack. Is there any bleeding going on? Her clothing has got blood on it. Okay, and you found her and she was just laying there? Yeah. A birthday sleepover with three 12-year-olds the night before. And now two girls are missing. The other, Peyton Leitner, has somehow crawled out of the woods, covered in stab wounds. 19 of them. She's now being wheeled into the operating room, having just told her mother her friends did this to her. They had run away and and the police hadn't found them yet. And we just knew that Peyton told us Morgan stabbed her and the police hadn't been able to find the girls. And in fact, police believe those girls were walking. Yeah. They were going to find a mansion in the woods. Oh, the mansion, yeah, the mansion in the woods. They were going to the Nicolay Forest because they believed that there was a mansion there that Slenderman lived in. Incredibly, police say those girls were now headed to find a mansion where they believed a fictitious internet character truly lived. A character named Slenderman, who police say they were hoping to impress. Outside that hospital, in that town. A major search by ground. These are the woods where the stabbing police are still on the scene here. A frantic search for the two missing, Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire. Two 12-year-old girls stabbing their friend nearly to death is unimaginable any time, but especially for a safe community like the city of Waukesha. When questioned by authorities later, they reportedly claimed that they had wished to commit a murder as a first step to becoming proxies of the Slender Man, having read about it online. One of the girls then said Slender Man watches her and can read minds and teleport. They thought he was real, police say, and that if they didn't kill their classmate, then Slender Man would hurt them or their families. When you guys were walking, you thought you saw Like experts basically came in and testified that the girl was crazy. And apparently she also claimed she would talk to the Ninja Turtles and Lord Voldemort and stuff like that. Uh, on August 1st, she was found incompetent to stand trial and her prosecution was suspended until her condition improved. Then on November 12th, the doctor judged that her condition had improved enough for her to stand trial. And on December 19th, the judge ruled that both girls were competent to stand trial. And most recently, it was declared that they would be tried as adults. So then the creator, Eric Knudsen, in response to this, the guy who I said on the forums, like, is the well-known guy who've cre- who created Slenderman. You know, it's like, uh, to me, again, I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but it's like, Mickey Mouse isn't real because I know Walt Disney created him. Same thing, I don't think Slenderman is real because this dude created him and it's proven. Uh, But anyway, he released a statement saying, I'm deeply saddened by the tragedy in Wisconsin and my heart goes out to the families of those affected by this terrible act. And what is interesting and kind of adds to the legend, even though Slenderman isn't real, obviously the violence is real because uh, after that news story broke, an unidentified woman from Hamilton, Ohio told WLWT TV. I came home one night from work and she was in the kitchen waiting for me and she was wearing um, a white mask. She had her hood up and she had her you know, hands covered with the sleeves and um, the mask. She also had a knife and began attacking her mother right there in the kitchen. And mentioned playing a role. I got the feeling she was playing a role. Um, 
didn't feel like her. Now, after hearing about the two Wisconsin 12-year-olds accused of stabbing their friend 19 times because they wanted to please Slenderman, this mom thinks the fictional horror character also had an influence on her daughter. We found things that she had written and she made reference to Slenderman. She also made some references to um, you know, killing. She even had created a, a, a world for Slender Man in Minecraft. And right now the 13-year-old is facing charges. Her family is not allowed to discuss the case with her, but I'm told the teen has told other people that she doesn't remember much from that night. And then on September 4th, 2014. The fictional character Slender Man is reportedly the inspiration of yet another violent crime. Authorities say a 14-year-old Florida girl set her home on fire while her mother and young brother were sleeping inside in an effort to please Slender Man. Um, around 1.44 a.m., we responded out to the 9,000 block of Hermitage Lane. Um, fire rescue was out there. They put out a fire at this house. Um, there was a mom, a son, and a suspect. A uh, weird thing that it's a lot of girl violence, as they seem to be kind of obsessed with Slenderman. I mean, there's clearly a connection with Slenderman and these violent outbursts, but that's more the people acting out than it is some sort of force by this Slenderman, which is also interesting because his legend doesn't say anything about him really like making young kids attack people it's supposed to be that he's abducting them and doing that so it, it goes against it all but right so these people are all killing in the name of slender man like from, from attempting I, to kill at least right it's uh yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate again like the uh the acts of the people are real but i don't think slender man himself exists uh, i think this is just people kind of that are obviously have some issues a little delusional and are acting out things based on maybe what they perceive as a reality or a real threat or they're trying to become protégés of the slender man but to the original question of brian s who emailed us no i don't think slender man is real i do not think he exists no and exactly like you said i, I don't think slender man exists either but unfortunately there are all these horrible acts that have come as a result of the the whole uh slender man urban legend it's and uh, pretty nuts yeah i mean i guess that just sort of helps add to the legend and uh you know, I'm sure it'll continue to grow, which is, uh, just sadly, that's the way things go. But paranormal news headlines there. It's definitely going to grab some attention. Thank you for emailing us. Um, so let's move on to our next question. Okay. Which actually is a uh, tweet from Lee R. He tweeted us and said, what's the deal with black eyed children? Have you heard of them? I have heard of them. I'll read a quick definition of black eyed children or black eyed kids as they're sometimes called. Uh, it's an urban legend of supposed paranormal creatures that resemble children between the ages of 6 and 16 with pale white skin and black eyes who are usually seen hitchhiking or panhandling or they appear on your doorstep uh, and they say that they kind of try to get in or get invited in and it's very unnerving and their eyes are sort of like, you know, a shark's eyes, just completely black. It is apparent to me that this phenomenon is not only tangible and terrifyingly real, but also escalating. Timothy Alberino of SteveQuail.com tells us a little more about black-eyed kids. It is my opinion that these black-eyed kids are related to the hybrid children that are often encountered during alien abductions. 
The fact that the ostensible directive of these entities is to be willingly invited into one's home is indicative of some kind of demonic subterfuge, possibly relating to alien abductions. Whatever the case, it is my contention that this kind of paranormal intrusion is only going to increase as the days grow darker. Reporting for SteveQuail.com, I'm Timothy Alberino. And that's my analysis. This ties in kind of good with the other question of Slenderman, because I feel like this is another sort of new age urban legend. And I think it's pretty much just that an urban legend. I don't think these kids really exist. Uh, I think it's just kind of a creepy image. You know, kids are kind of scary when you, uh, you know, when they're not being cute, especially they have black eyes and they're being really quiet and they have super pale skin. So I just feel like this is once again, uh, not really truth behind it. It's just more of a scary element. Now, is is this like, what like children of the corn is kind of based on uh, or, or what was that other movie village of the damned there have been a few casualties i should say accidents that might be related to contact with the children you can't stop us you know don't try i'm not sure have you ever seen either of those i have not well they both involve the similar concept of these like scary young kids who have uh strange uh, malevolent powers it could definitely be based on that as i said kids are sort of a common theme even like those two little twins in the shining come play with us they're just standing there yeah yeah come play with us daddy kids can be creepy but absolutely uh, once again we always try to track down like the origin and the supposed origin of the black eyed children legend uh started in 1998 and its postings written by texas reporter brian bethel on a ghost-related mailing list. And basically, he said there are all these encounters with black-eyed kids in Abilene, Texas, and Portland, Oregon. Blogger Brian Bethel wrote about an alarming encounter he had with black-eyed kids in 1996. There was a knock on my driver's side window. Two young boys, somewhere between 9 and 12 years old and dressed in hooded pullovers, stood outside. I cracked the window a bit, anticipating a spiel for money, but I was immediately gripped by an incomprehensible, soul-wracking fear. I had no idea why. A conversation ensued between one boy, a somewhat suave, oil-skinned, curly-headed young man, and myself. The other, a red-headed, pale-skinned, freckled young man, stayed in the background. The spokesman, as I've come to think of him, told me that he and his companion needed a ride. Plausible enough, but all throughout this exchange, the irrational fear continued and grew. I had no reason to be frightened of these two boys, but I was, terribly. All the while, the spokesman uttered assurances. It wouldn't take long. They were just two little kids. They didn't have a gun or anything. The last part was a bit unnerving. In the short time I had broken the gaze of the spokesman, something had changed, and my mind exploded in a vortex of all-consuming terror. Both boys stared at me with coal black eyes, soulless orbs like two great swaths of starless night. I full-on freaked out inside while trying to appear completely sane and calm. I made whatever excuses came to mind, all of them designed to get me the hell out of there. I wrapped my hand around the gear shift, threw the car into reverse, and began to roll up the window, apologizing all the while. 
My fear must have been evident. The boy in the back wore a look of confusion. The spokesman banged sharply on the window as I rolled it up. His words, full of anger, echo in my mind even today. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I drove out of the parking lot in blind fear. I stole a quick look in my rearview mirror before peeling out into the night. The boys were gone. Even if they had run, I don't believe there was any place they could have hidden from view that quickly. So this guy wrote this story. He wrote, he started writing those stories as part of this mailing list uh-huh. of these black eyed children. Um, so you he, know, and he completely invented this. Yep. Came out with it himself. Okay. And then, uh, you know, it started catching on and it's that type of thing. You know, it's kind of like the game of telephone where it's like, okay. you know, Hey, uh, you know, the, you know, somebody writes a story about it to scare people. And that's the whole point. Everybody knows that they're reading fiction and then somebody hears about it and they don't think it's fiction. They think it's real. They tell somebody who tells somebody and suddenly it becomes, you know, their uncle was driving through a town when these small kids came up and they, you know, had all black eyes and white skin and they disappeared on them. Yeah. Um, but once again, as I, as, as I like to say, once you have the origin of where it started, you know, it's not true. Right. And that, that goes back to what I said earlier about how now in today's day and age, it's not easy to get away with that kind of thing. Cause you said 1998, it's yesterday. You know what I mean? Like it's true. And like, yeah, unless it's word of mouth, which is the best way, there's no like more modern day <laughs> minstrels or people who are going along yeah. spreading this. So it's untraceable. It's like, who'd you hear from? From him. And who'd he hear from? Yeah, from listen, her. Here's, here's some advice for all of you out there that want to start your own urban legends or something. Like that. Don't do it on the freaking internet where it can be easily traced. Just start telling people the story and then it'll catch on. It's very true. I'm going to make an analogy here that might not go over too well, but uh, it kind of reminds me of Scientology in a lot of ways where basically L. Ron Hubbard was writing these kind of crappy sci-fi novels and then said like, you know, the easiest way to become rich and famous is just start your own religion which he then just started his own religion. So, right. you know, that'd be sort of like, uh, you know, it kind of, for me, it's like, oh man, that kind of kills it. That'd be like, if I was like, you know, if I said I was Jesus, no, that's not a good example. Uh, that'd be like, there was this actor, right? Say that Brad Pitt was like, you know what? I should just claim to be Jesus reborn. And then two days later, he shows up with a beard and says, you know what? I am Jesus. I would be like, but dude, I heard you say you were just going to try to be Jesus just to get m- more money. Right. It's like, you've, you know, you've exposed yourself. I know where it came from. It's like seeing the man behind the curtain. Exactly. And even if L. Ron Hubbard hadn't said the thing about the best way to make money is to start a religion, just the fact that he is a science fiction writer and then discovers this sci-fi, sci- yeah, yeah, sci-fi type, uh, you know, it's like something out of Dune or Star Wars, like the force kind of, you know, like it's just. Uh, exactly. It, uh, yeah, it takes away from the myth of it all when you know like where it started how it started and uh that seems to be the case with at least our first two questions here and i get it because they are kind of new age urban legends so i'm sure some people are you know and it's probably very easy to like see a little kid drive by real quick and be like that that kid had black eyes i just you know what i mean and again it just goes back to things we've said thousands of times if you've heard that story and you're put in this strange situation and you suddenly misinterpret what you think you saw and you already had this stuff in your mind anyway, you were immediately going to assign, oh my God, those were black eyed children to that scenario. And then your story will, you know, go on from there. So uh, let's keep it on, keep it rolling here. I like this next one. This is a, an email from Andy E. And he said, what are your thoughts on crop circles? They exist, but what are their origins? And 
what are your thoughts on aliens? Now, this is kind of awesome because so far we've dealt with a lot of ghosts, spirits, mediums, but we're trying to do bigger mysteries. So I'm kind of glad we get to talk about aliens a little bit here. Right. Uh, so I guess we'll start with the easier part first, which is what are our thoughts on aliens? I think that they must exist due to the vastness of the universe. I don't necessarily think they're like little green men flying around in saucers or anything like that, but there has to be some other type of life out there. So I would say that I do believe aliens exist. I'm not sure what form they are, how intelligent they are, but there's something out there. I think it's kind of egocentric to think that we're the only living beings in the entire universe, galaxy, everything that is the mass of space outside planet Earth. It's very heliocentric. Yeah, yeah a little, little lame science joke about the sun in the center of the galaxy. Never mind. Uh, Damn it. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I kind of have to go the Carl Sagan route on that, too. Well, again, very difficult to estimate, but there are stars which are billions of years older than our sun. Some of them very likely have planets, and therefore I can imagine civilizations immensely beyond the capabilities of our own. What capabilities those are, no one can tell. I think it's like mathematically impossible that this is the only, and actually extremely frightening, that if, if this is the only spot in the universe where life happened to exist and we're it, that's a scary thought. Uh, but I don't think that's true. I think there has to be life out there somewhere. Um, I, like, again, like Tom said, I have no idea what form it would take. Um, are they inventing space bending technology and coming here and running experiments on us? I have no idea. Although I did see like some of those movies like Fire in the Sky. How does it think? What makes it move? Why does it breathe? Questions anyone would ask about a man if they'd never seen one before. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. Have you seen that one? I have not. That's, that's a pretty wild movie. Um, and it's cool, but it doesn't mean I necessarily believe that that's what's happening. So yeah, I think there's probably life out there. Um, I'm a little more skeptical about the they, they, you know, they landed in my backyard and took my dog away kind of stuff. Um, so now to the initial part of his question, which is uh, crop circles. And basically a crop circle is a large, very intricate design. I believe they started in England. Uh, and basically like overnight, people would wake up and their field would be sort of ruined. Uh, and there would be just this huge elaborate design, which is very like symmetrical. It's impressive looking. And they just assumed it's like aliens writing a message to us. Right. I agree. They do exist. There are photos of them. Um, what is making them? I am basically 100% sure that it's humans. Uh, there's a lot of shows and articles and stuff that explain how they do it. Wiltshire, England, the center of the crop circle phenomenon. A challenge has been set to create a complex crop circle under genuine conditions. John Lundberg has been making crop circles for over 17 years. The design we're creating tonight is certainly a challenge. Um, I think for us, the most challenging aspect is that there's very little room for error in terms of all of the circles are very close to each other. Although they never claim formations as their own, 
John's group, the Circle Makers, are reported to have been responsible for some of the largest and most elaborate crop circles ever produced. I've always said that there's a very symbiotic relationship between the Circle Makers and the researchers. We definitely need each other. They basically promote our work and build an audience for our work. And uh, we give them the crop circles as the foundation for their belief system. John views himself as an artist, and it's the intense interest in his open-air galleries that keeps him making circles. For us as artists, it's completely important that, that there's still a belief in the mythology behind the circles. And if people believe that every single crop circle was man-made, we certainly wouldn't be making them anymore, because it's the whole reason to carry on is, is the mythology and the folklore that is built up around our work. So now I've actually watched shows and programs where, and there are clubs now, where you go with your buddies, you meet up at night, and either it's somebody lets you do it in their field because it's like cool and good press and people come and take photos of it, or you kind of do it for the thrill of like sneaking in one night and doing it. Right, Like so instead of like going and like egging your neighbor's house, you're now sneaking into their field and crop circling them. Exactly, and it is super challenging, and like I watched them do it, and uh, you know, it's they do it in pitch black, or maybe they all have little headlamps, um, and basically what they do is, which is sort of unique about it is they're not just like getting a lawnmower and doing a design they get you know big boards of wood or whatever tools they use to sort of bend the stalks of whatever field they're in um so they're not really breaking it they're just kind of pushing it down and then they kind of trample it and what they'll do is they'll get ropes and strings and tape measures and like you know it's a whole process where they'll say okay let's start with these outer circles and we'll work our way in and do this but they make sure that it is all you know geometrically uh even on both sides and stuff so it's a cool looking thing i don't think it's aliens i know that there was a video out for a while which was super popular where uh it was like a ufo flew by and as it was flying over the crop circle appeared and then it flew off a video appearing to show balls of light creating a crop circle surfaces enthusiasts are ecstatic this is amazing but delight quickly turns to suspicion and some researchers question the video's authenticity. But then that was later debunked and the dude admitted basically, he's like, yeah, me and my friend just kind of made it. It appears their suspicions are well-placed when John Wabe films his own confession, admitting to creating the balls of light as part of an elaborate hoax. What really happened is I was up at Oliver's Castle, but I didn't see a circle being formed. I didn't see any lights. What I did see was a brand new fresh circle that no one had seen before very early in the morning. And the thought came to me, I could actually make something with this. I could make it appear as if I filmed this circle being formed. Well, a lot of people have asked me why I did it. And there's lots of different reasons, really. Primarily, it was a bit of fun. It was a ruse that we thought up. In the spur of the moment, it sort of grew and grew to levels we didn't possibly dream that it would. And now a lot of people have kind of approached me and discussed this with me, and they've said, you know, there are no footprints. How is that possible? At the, the sites of these crop circles, to which I don't think it's that hard not to leave footprints. Often the ground is hard, and by following the tram lines, few footprints, if any, are left. Um, you know, other people have said, well, it happens all over the world. How do you explain that? And I think it's just the power of the press. People see headlines, people replicate it. Uh, and then a lot of folks tell me that the physical anomalies, the patterns of damage, the stems and stalks are bent, they're not broken, sometimes the flower heads are untouched, they're still in pristine condition, they haven't been smashed. Nothing is pounded into the ground. Remember, they leave without a trace. Working outward from the center, 
the circle makers begin the swirling pattern by flattening down the crop with their homemade wood planks. The planks, called stock stompers, are different sizes, each with holes on the ends where the rope is looped through. Each member then holds onto the rope like reins on a horse and gallops along, flattening down the grain as he goes. Or uh, the nodes have been elongated or blown out from the inside. There's sort of like an explosion within, which can only be from heat, which humans can't do. Uh, so my first point is humans could do it. Uh, couldn't they have like a small welder's blowtorch or something to be heating this up so it falls over as opposed to stepping on it or flattening it down? Uh, and my other thing is people a lot of times will just throw out the, the term physical anomalies, put all these anomalies on the stalks, but you can't explain it. But I feel like there hasn't been enough research, or at least on the other side, it's the people that believe it's aliens that are presenting that. I would like to hear the counter argument from a scientist from a plant doctor, from a certified gardener, if you will. Uh, I'd like to hear somebody else saying, oh, no, that can happen. That's not that abnormal. That's These are other explanations for it. So I know there are a lot of people out there that really want it to be aliens, really believe that it is. But personally, again, I just don't. So remember, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. I'm Judd Nelson. Good night. Yeah, uh, exactly. and. The thing is, I've heard the explanation that people believe that they're um, like maps or kind of like, you know, uh, like X marks the spot for aliens. Right. Now, you think about that. If these aliens have the kind of technology to travel light years in space and all that, do you think they would need these like these like actual physical maps on the ground? You can take out your iPhone and digitally drop a pin on somewhere and then GPS your way to it without physically affecting the location of that spot. You don't think aliens... Can, can do that they can mark a spot and go there you know it, it just doesn't make sense to think that these are some kind of like you know directions or something and yeah along those lines too like why is it always just in these large fields where it's convenient to like push over and make a cool design why aren't they doing it in rocks in mountains using lasers to carve messages and another thing that i always wonder is uh you know you think of the motivation behind it like why are the aliens like we're gonna go at night we're going to do it just in one night. No one's going to see us. Like, what are they, if they're trying to leave us a message, when do they come during the day? Are they trying to be sneaky? Are they trying to, uh, you know, be mysterious about it? No, if they're just leaving a message because they want us to find it, there's no reason. It's probably because people are sneaking in and doing it at night so they don't right. get caught for trespassing or so they don't get found out because it'll kind of ruin the hype, you know. So, uh, crop circles, not an alien endeavor, in my opinion. No, nor, nor in mine. And our next question comes from Yvonne and she says, hello brothers. I love the show. I was curious if you were superstitious and your thoughts on if superstitions are real. So I will answer that with my favorite quote from Michael Scott. I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I am a little stitious. Hmm. Funny wordplay. Yes. Um, I do not think superstitions are real as far as like Step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. If you break a mirror, you get seven years bad luck. Um, if a black cat crosses your path, you're screwed. You walk under a ladder. I really do not believe in any of that stuff. Uh, I, I know a lot of sports fans, for example, are into it, where they have to sit in the same seat, wear the same jersey, do all this, as if it will somehow will on the team. And also, from my background, that I won't get too into... Being around a lot of professional athletes, I know that they are extremely superstitious and they have like routines that they'll do. They'll walk in the same door to the arena every time. They'll touch a sign. They'll 
tape up a hockey stick the same way. They'll put on the left shoe before the right shoe. They do a lot of superstitions. But again, I feel like it's more of like a mental preparation thing. And it's just like puts them in their own comfort zone. If they don't do it, they feel like something's off. But I don't feel like a real superstition really holds too much weight. What are your thoughts on the world of superstitions? No, I don't, I don't really buy into the superstition thing. And the question I would ask would be, if there was such a thing as a superstition, what would be the controlling element to it? Like if you step on a crack and it, your mother's back breaks, like who's doing the back breaking? Who's causing, who is taking that? They did A, so now I'll do B. You know what I mean? Yeah, what's the, where's the cause and effect? Who's right, putting an emotion? Right, yeah. It's, I assume it's not God. <laughs> right. Like if I break a mirror, who's going to ensure that I've seven right. years of bad luck? Yeah, exactly. Is, it, is there some ghost who, who monitors these things? So no, I don't, I don't believe in superstition. I agree with what you said about people who have those tendencies to follow routine because it mentally eases them when they're right. going into a situation. Um, but no, I don't, I don't really believe in superstition. On the flip side, though, I will say, as I said, I might not be superstitious. I'm a little stitious, only in that uh, I can think of one example where a friend of mine was engaged. Things went south. He was left with this engagement ring, really nice ring. And he was like, hey, man, I'll, I'll sell it to you at a good price. But I didn't want it because I felt, I mean, not only I guess it's kind of weird to give someone else someone else's ring. Right. Like it's, I didn't pick it out. I didn't do whatever. But for me more, it was like this thing has some bad luck on it. This thing has some bad karma. I don't want to say it was cursed, but I, I just didn't feel right taking it at that point. It's cursed. Uh, it might've been to which I guess I'll admit like in that instance, I was sort of being superstitious. Obviously I kind of wanted to pick out the old custom ring just because it's a great meaningful gift. But part of me was definitely like, eh, I don't know if this thing's good anymore because of that. I wouldn't chalk that up to superstition so much as, you then would spend the rest of your relationship kind of knowing that this was the ring from a relationship that failed. And every time you see your buddy and he sees your wife's hand, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, see, I that, never even thought of it that far into it. That's, that's what I would associate it with. It's just, it's not necessarily superstition. It's just not, it carries a bad vibe based on memories there. We are cruising through these great questions, guys. And as always, we invite you to join the conversation, hit us with any topics you want us to kind of riff on or, you know, you want us to do a show about, or you have your own stories. Yeah. Just, you know, send us a tweet, uh, email, um, or you can even go to our site now, thebrothersmysterium.com. And on the contact page, there's uh, a way to get in touch with us about that too. And while we're on the topic of taking emails, we did receive an email in follow-up to the twin tuition investigation from two twin sisters from Little Rock, Arkansas. We'll call them J and K. And just as a quick refresher, um, for those of you who don't recall the investigation on Twin Tuition, definitely go back and give episode seven called Twin Tuition and the Devil's Tower a good listen. All right, anyway. Uh, and we're going to read some of the instances that they've had in their life that made them think they had Twin Tuition. But first, a little scientific note uh, on NewDawnMagazine.com. There's an article called Twin Telepathy is there a special connection which cited this? I'm not sure the exact source of it, but I'll say it anyway. Sure. Researchers at the university of Indiana have studied thousands of twins and have noticed that the later they divided, the closer they become after birth. Perhaps that, make, that makes sense. Thus the reason an explanation for twin tuition, if it truly exists, I don't know, just throwing it out there. So I'm going to, uh, now I'll read Jay's email. All right. 
We are so close and tend to think in ways so similar it's creepy even to us. It took months for us to even realize that our tattoos were so similar. I have a robin and a mallard on my left arm sleeve and a big rose on my right arm. And she ended up with a half-sleeve owl and a rose as well. Even though we're together all the time and talk almost every day, we just recently realized, oh wow, we have like twin tattoos. We were not too surprised because we find ourselves in similar situations often. If we hear the same podcast or song or watch the same movie, we always relate to each other the same moment or quote that stood out to us. Like we see the world through the same eyes. That's an interesting line and thought. We've never really known what to call it or what to think of it, but we always know when the other one needs us. I think that's exactly why 9 out of 10 times I call her or she calls me right when the other person was dialing the other one's number. This happens so often we don't even bat an eyelash at it anymore. We've come to expect that I was just calling you response. We always know when the other one needs our fix, which I guess is our bond. We do get depressed when we don't get to see each other. We've always called it sister withdrawals. So there's a lot of interesting things happening there. They, whenever they want to communicate with each other, call each other, they're like holding the phone about to dial and it rings. And they said that they kind of can sense what the other one's feeling, which is what I was talking about in my uh, investigation that didn't go anywhere where I asked these twins, do you have a bond? Do you ever sense the other one in trouble or feeling good or great or something good happened? Everybody was like, no, they say that they have it. And the sister withdrawal thing is very interesting to me because it almost sounds like a twinless twin, which we talked about, where if one twin dies in the womb, the other twin kind of feels lonely and depressed their whole life. Obviously, these two young ladies are both alive and healthy, thank goodness. But if they're not together enough, they kind of feel withdrawal and fall into like a depression, which is interesting. We thoroughly believe there's no closer bond on Earth than twins. You're conceived at the same time, develop your fingers, eyes, brains at the same time. You see the world and develop your first words and first imaginary words at the same time. Kay is my soulmate and I am hers. We do have different personalities, but at the same time, we are so similar in thought and action. So, very interesting stuff. Hmm. It's a unique uh, first-hand perspective, which puts a slightly different uh, spin on it than what you had found in your research. Now, let me add one last line here from the initial email from Jay. The best thing about having a twin is the blessing of being born with the best friend. And the worst part is that one day, one of us will be left without the other. Living without the other doesn't seem possible. We're eerily connected in a way we do not understand and never expect to. So that goes back to how close their bond is that like they don't even like not seeing each other frequently. And it's intriguing to me that at least Jay kind of fears the day when one of them passes away or something and then they're just like alone. So again, it kind of reminds me of like a twinless twin. Yeah. Uh, Again, I maintain what I said in the episode. That could be a psychological rather than parapsychological condition, though. That is true. I mean, yeah, it could just be you're that close with someone. Obviously, you form a close bond. Right. Uh, But there is an interesting instance. That was an email Jay sent to me. I had them both send me emails of their experiences separately. Nice. So now we will, I will read Kay's email. And Kay said, well... When we were in the first grade, we had trouble making friends because we had each other and that's all we needed. But administration thought differently. 
they gave us separate playground time so we could interact with other kids. Of course, we were devastated by this separation at first. But eventually, we made some friends outside of each other. So one afternoon, Jay was roughhousing with her new friends and, long story short, she fell and split the back of her head open. At this time, I was in my classroom and started screaming and crying because of this horrible pain in the back of my head. My teacher had to call someone from the nurse's office to come carry me to the infirmary. When I get in there, the staff looked at me like I had two heads. They were in shock that I came in at the same time as my sister for an injury in the same exact place. Most of the staff concluded that we were playing a trick to get us out of class. The incident was never mentioned again, but I will never forget it. She then goes on to say, We also have a deep intuition about one another's feelings, physical and emotional. When she has had a really bad day, I can absolutely feel it. I'll call her and immediately ask what happened. She does the same for me. No one understands. It's something we don't talk about because it tends to freak people out. It freaks us out, too, to be perfectly honest. We are very interested in learning more about this type of phenomena, which is why they responded to uh, the open invitation for twin tuition. So, once again, she says that they experience exactly what I was asking people if they experience, which is that emotional bond. There's almost to a physical level where... You know, she not only can sense like she's having a bad day, I got to call her and see if she's okay. But the incident in first grade where the sister is outside in the playground, hurts her head and she's feeling her pain. It's like my volleyball in the face story, which seems kind of irrelevant and comical. Um, although they were in the same room and the one sister could have witnessed me smash her sister in the face with the volleyball. But here they were separated and she started screaming. She felt the pain. Uh, for the record, we did try to schedule an interview, get them on the show to talk. Uh, to kind of dig a little deeper. It did not work out, uh, but we wanted to share the conversation that I had with them via email anyway, just to keep the discussion rolling. Um, anything you want to throw out there in regards to what we've just heard from these twins? Uh, Are you not a little bit shocked and intrigued by this incident where one of them gets hurt in the playground and the other one feels the pain and yells and they both go to the nurse at the same time? I'm interested in it, but I want to know did it happen any other time after first grade? Because they're now much older. Right. And uh, I mean, my. I don't know if I'm just in a skeptical mood today or what it is. Oh, crap. Yeah. Uh, but stories from the past, I, I feel like they, they always have to. A certain amount of scrutiny has to be applied to them because the way working memory is like you. The memory changes every time you access it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it may not have, and I'm not saying like they lied, but they, it may not have happened exactly that way. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I don't know how else to explain the one sister who was in the classroom suddenly having a pain in her head, unless it's just a coincidence. Could be. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. And also, as a first grader, sometimes your perception of a, a story or what an event is not exactly accurate and then you build the memory off that which i mean like speaking from my own perspective i remember certain things differently than they were as i as i grew up and like you yeah, know well you see them like through a child's eyes and right stuff, you know? but then like you talk to like your parents later on and they're like actually that's not how it happened at all you stupid kid yeah that makes sense um but it is i mean I'm trying to rationalize what else. I mean, I guess she could have just had a headache. Maybe it wasn't necessarily in the back of her head at that same time, but 
we're kind of just uh, conjecturing at this point. So on that note, we want to thank them for sharing their story. We're sorry we couldn't get them on the show. If in the future it works out, we'd love to have them. In the meantime, if you are a twin or you know twins who also have twin tuition, have these types of experiences, and would be open to coming on the show for a full-blown interview, we'd love to have you on. So please reach out to us at Mysterium Bros on Twitter. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Brothers Mysterium. Let us know or email us at the Brothers Mysterium at gmail.com. Righto. I got through that without one twin pun. Not bad. Okay, and then our final email here is from Suzanne L. And she asked, What is ectoplasm? And are you familiar with ectoplasmic seances? So I think most people know ectoplasm simply from Ghostbusters. Raymond, look at this. Ectoplasmic residue. Backman, get a sample of this. It's the real thing. When somebody blows their nose and you want to keep it. I'd like to analyze it. There's more over here. I'm getting stronger readings here. Egon, your mucus. Come in, Ray. Pickman! I saw it, I saw it, I saw it! It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move. It won't hurt you. Me. That's great! Actual physical contact! Can you move? Ray, Ray, come in, please. I feel so funky. Spengler, I'm with Bankman. Oh. You got slime! That's great, Ray. Save some for me. One of the all-time best movies. Uh, and what ectoplasm is defined as, it's a term coined by Charles Richet to denote a substance or spiritual energy that's exteriorized by physical mediums. Ectoplasma is said to be associated with the formation of spirits. However, since World War II, reports of ectoplasm phenomena have declined, and many parapsychologists doubt whether genuine cases ever really existed. And there's a reason for the decline around World War II, is um, that was pretty much at that point the spiritualist movement, which was big in the very late 1800s and early 1900s, had pretty much died out at that point. And this, this, uh, phenomenon of ectoplasm was huge in the in the spiritualist community so and uh yeah i mean basically it's kind of like some sort of i guess you'd say like snotty mucus type thing that pours out of somebody's face and nose or mouth but there's a lot of caveats to it too where people say like it it exists but it can't be photographed you can't hold it you can't touch it you can see it but you can't video it so basically it's something that no one will ever be able to have any proof of which always makes me a little suspicious yeah, uh, I remember I was driving home. Um, I was driving out of Pennsylvania, like in three a.m. in the morning, and I was listening to Coast to Coast AM, which is a great show. And they had this guy on who was talking about these materialization seances, they were called. So these are mediums who um, it has to be super dark in there. Uh, so they they only do this in a dark room because you know the ectoplasm is very sensitive to light, so you really can't see what's going on as it is which is like a common uh, thing with these fake seances. I, and I say they're fake because I believe they're fake. But anyway, the medium, what, what they do is that they uh, somehow channel the spirit world and then pr- their body literally produces this slime called ectoplasm that comes out 
of their body out of their eyes, their nose, their mouth, sometimes their pores. And it literally forms into the like physical manifestation of whoever you're trying to speak to. So say like I'm trying to contact my dead uncle Charles, who I don't have an uncle Charles, but uh, so then like I talked to the medium, the medium would say, okay, here we go. And then they would, their body would produce this, you know, gack like substance and it would form into the physical representation of uncle Charles. And there he is. And uncle Charles can speak and uncle Charles can pick things up. Or maybe it's just uncle Charles's disembodied mucusy head floating around. And it, it has to be dark. The only light you're supposed to use in these rooms is like this red, you know, soft red light because it won't damage the ectoplasm. Uh, like Tom said, people have tried to photograph it and it destroys it because the light is too strong. Uh, or people have taken it and put it, in, put it in specimen jars. And then the next day, nothing's there. Uh, things like that. So, uh, not that you may not know this or not. So when you're in the dark room, like if I pay to go to this guy to have this happen... And I'm sitting in the dark room with the soft red light. Am I able to see anything? I would assume it- to a certain extent, but like if it's a dark room, like, I don't know. You, if you look back at you, Google photos of materialization seances or ectoplasm, and you'll see all these photos that are people producing ectoplasm. And it looks like they're literally sitting there with like pantyhose hanging out of their mouth. So I, I don't know, like if you're in the dark room with the soft red light, like, if like somebody comes up like underneath like a thin bed sheet or something, you know, I'm sure they have some way of figuring this well, out. And like you said before, like the spiritualist movement and like the dark room is the classic fake seance. Like they used to do that where they would have ropes and bells or, you know, the person would say, hold my hands. And then they would, you know, take their shoe off and they'd be ringing a bell under the table with their toes. Right. They'd be like, you know, hitting a pedal, which is going to make the windows it, open. It's exactly like the, the Davenport brothers and uh, the Fox sisters. Who did that? Like, as we've said before, Houdini was real big on going in and busting these people. So, uh, there is definitely something to be said with turning out all the lights just because it helps whoever's doing this to manipulate the situation. But I feel like if you're there and you could see even a little bit, you would notice whether or not there was a giant snot-based uh, figure of your dead relative in front of you. Right, yeah. And, uh, okay, so going back to what I said about Coast to Coast AM, they had on this guy whose name was... Uh, Jan W. Vandersand. I could be pronouncing that totally incorrectly, but he's a, a, a doctor. He has a PhD, and he was going on at length about these materialization seances. They, they produce ectoplasm. They were not strong enough to produce it in red light, but they invited one of their friends. Um, wait, wait, I, I need to stop you because yeah. we have a lot, we're going to have a lot of people watching who don't know what that means, not strong enough to produce it in red light. Yeah, because... In, in, ectoplasm is very sensitive to light. Oh, okay. So that's why most mediums produce it in the dark. Uh-huh. And then you'll have like the trumpet flying around. The trumpet is actually, a, ectoplasm actually tied to the trumpet back to the medium. Here's a clip of Dr. Van Sandy, as his name is actually pronounced, talking about ectoplasm on the Open Mind Show. The, she sat with Mickey and Sarah in the cabinet behind the, behind the black curtain. And, and that's called the cabinet? The cabinet, okay. yeah. Okay. And they... Uh, they allowed us to turn the red light on, which mm-hmm. previously with Mickey and Sarah never happened. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Because, like I said, when they produce ectoplasm, it was just too sensitive and would, hurt, would, would have hurt Sarah. But with, with Kitty, we were allowed to turn the red light on. Oh, okay. So the red light was turned on, and you could see Sarah in trance, mm-hmm. you know, down. You could see Kitty in trance, down. And but trance, for those who aren't familiar with it, is just, you know, like a sleep state. Right, right. And all of a sudden, you see this white stuff pouring from Kitty's nose. Hmm. And this white stuff started pouring, pouring down her body. 
and started forming a sheet covering her body. Well, one of the sitters was asked to pick up the ectoplasm that was on the floor mm-hmm. and to hold it up and start walking across the room. So they had this full sheet of ectoplasm for about six to eight feet long, about six feet high, all tied to Kitty's nose. And you sit there looking at it, you say, no, this isn't possible. What did it feel like? Did you get to touch it? We, we weren't allowed to touch it, only that one person. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it looked like sort of a silky... Um, uh, what do you call that stuff? Um, cheese clothy kind of silky kind of material. Uh-huh. Uh, it wasn't odor there. Like I thought it was like a bother, a human perspiration smell sort of to it. And uh, but I'm sitting there as a scientist, as a physicist. You know, it's we've done a lot of experiments. You look at this and you say, "There's no way." Yeah. You know, I can be fooled. I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Right. You were looking at it with an objective eye. My, yeah. I mean, you look not, at this. Not the eyes of a believer. <laughs> exactly. You say, "Wait a minute. Is this possible?" Uh huh. And all of a sudden, the the person holding this ectoplasm across the room was asked to drop it. Just let it go. Uh-huh. You could see it fall to the ground, and within a few seconds, it went all back right back into into uh, Kitty's nose. Wow. Basically, it consists of what the human body consists of. So they've just taken from the human body, plus supposedly, according to the spirit entities, they've added some of their own stuff to it. And I believe he hosts them out in Los Angeles with this uh, Australian medium who is one of these rare manifestation mediums named uh, David Thompson. And I think you can pay to go and be a part of this. Now, this relates back to our good buddy Bert and our medium show here and some of the things we talked about because uh, he, he got he opened us up to some things about going to see mediums that we never consider like people who get addicted to it and people who are prey to all kinds of superstition who get involved in this I don't know what they charge for these materialization seances but I'm sure it's not cheap and if you're the kind of person who's willing to pay that much money to go to one of these things I bet you're the kind of person who is are already prey to all kinds of superstitions and you're 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 there to fall for it you know what i mean so like i mean personally if i was going to pay to see this happen i would want to be able to see it so i would be very annoyed if it's only one little red light and you can't see the ectoplasm take shape or anything like that i would like to reach out to this guy and try to talk to him about this uh yeah i mean i am very 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 skeptical as in i don't believe it at all i mean we could i don't know we could try and get him on the show maybe i don't know we might have to reach out um so it sounds very kind of hokey to me right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we try to be open to stuff, but like you got to come into this room. It's dark ectoplasm, which most people say is not even real. And this guy's claiming that it shoots out of you and forms into the person, but you can't see it or photograph it or have any evidence. So it would be very interesting to kind of talk to him and just see what he uh, has to say, because... I'm slightly intrigued and I'm very, very skeptical. Okay, and I and I wonder also, this is me kind of just talking to Tom here now, planning. Uh, I would like to look in to see how much this, this costs. Yeah, that would be great. I don't know. We can look into this. If anyone knows anything about materialization seances and ectoplasm, hit us up. Let us know because it's... The way I view it is, it's it's so ridiculous, I don't believe it, but the fact that it goes on enough to be acknowledged makes me curious about it to, to just to, just to see or witness and hear about it because it's so it sounds so bad crazy to me that i don't i don't think it would persist at all but it does and i, I kind of want to know why like what's going on with this stuff what i would love to do really is talk to somebody who's done this 
and be like, did you actually see it? And I wonder if part of this, like, kind of like earlier in the episode, actually, we were talking about uh, Bloody Mary and how you can sort of hallucinate with the dim lighting and sensory deprivation. I wonder if it's the same thing where you're in this dark room, there's only a little soft red light, and you're, you know, picturing Aunt Bessie so hard with your mind that when suddenly, you know, there's something happens there, you start seeing a shape or a face or whatever, like, you know, you, you sort of are hallucinating and tricking yourself by having this person in mind yeah. that you think you see something. Like, I'd be really interested if somebody came out and was like, oh no, I absolutely saw it. I saw the, you know, ectoplasm ooze out of her nose and turn into this. Or if somebody would come out and say, I just wasted 200 bucks. It was pitch black in there. And right. Know, and and I the thing is, thing. and I, I think what I remember from the interview was he was saying that these things can speak. Uh, the, these entities that come out of the the medium. Now, you would know if like, okay, so like uh, a relative who died a long time ago from my childhood, okay, I, I probably don't have too great uh, a memory for how they sounded, but like someone who like recently died, if that's who supposedly was contacted, you would you would know what they sound like, what the kind of things they would say. And also, I don't know how accurate the medium would be like they would they would probably say like well you can't control who comes out you know or something like that yeah it's all it's all very interesting it's a whole nother layer of mediums as you said like we had bird on great guest gave us a lot of in-depth information but this is kind of a whole nother level where now ectoplasms involved and the shape of this person and like if they can talk to you and stuff i wonder are they talking to you through the medium and they're just ectoplasm body is there or are they literally talking themselves in their natural voice it's uh it's a whole big can of worms that I think Susie's we're to, email here has opened up. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do a full episode on this, because as I'm looking at my computer while I'm talking to you, uh, I'm reading a little bit more about this Dave Thompson guy. Uh, I kind of want to find out more about what's going on with him. I, I think we should do an, a, a materialization, not necessarily ectoplasm, but materialization seance episode. And maybe he can give us some free Wendy's. Uh, that's, it's Dave Thompson, not Dave Thomas. Damn it. But we can find out if he'll contact Dave Thomas for us. And get us that free Wendy's. Hi, I'm Wendy's founder, Dave Thomas. From the day I opened the first Wendy's, my goal has been to serve the best hamburger in the business. I'm back in. So just a quick update, because we hate leaving loose ends. Tommy actually reached out to David Thompson, the manifestation medium that I mentioned was working with Dr. Vandersandy. And, well... Here are the results. So I was able to track down a website for David, circleofthesilvercord.net, but unfortunately nothing is there except the message, service unavailable, please check back later. So after a little more research, I was able to uncover David's contact people. I sent them an email and I got this reply. Hi, David has retired from physical mediumship to spend more time with his young family. He is now unreachable. His website at circleofthesilvercord.net is down also. They did provide the names of two other individuals who do physical mediumship, so we're going to try to follow up with them just so we have somebody we can kind of discuss this topic with. Uh, but as far as our quest of getting David on the show, apparently not going to happen as he is, as of now, unreachable. I believe the last thing on our agenda for the episode is a listener submission. The Brothers Mysterium. This is the story of how a ghost walked through my dream. 
I used to do research on St. Catherine's Island, which is an island off the coast of Georgia. And in the past, um, it had been owned previously to the Civil War. Um, it had been owned for plantations. Um, and when my team and I worked on the island, we slept in uh, what were renovated slave cabins. So, of course, everybody circulated around these stories of ghosts and hauntings and people would hear uh, horses going down um, past their cabins and people swore they heard voices. Um, but of course, I chalked the, all this up to superstition, so I don't really believe in that stuff. Um, but I was still scared shitless anyway. Um, and on my third trip down there, uh, so I was well acquainted with the island and, you know, I got really used to it and I was comfortable there. Um, I went to sleep and I had this dream that I was in my house uh, that I grew up in and there was a party going on. Um, it was apparently supposed to be a wedding for one of my sisters and um, everybody was running around busy and um, sort of not paying attention to me. It started out like a usual stress dream that I have where there's a lot going on and um, we'll never get it done in time. And then I go out in my backyard and amongst all the craziness, um, I am just talking to my sister and this woman um, just walks right between us. And just keeps on walking, just right past my field of vision. My sister kept talking and didn't seem to, you know, see the woman. When I said, you know, hey, did you see that? She just kept on talking like nothing had happened. It was like nobody could see this woman in my dream but me. And I don't remember exactly what she was wearing, but it certainly didn't fit in with the times. Um, it, she was wearing a long skirt, maybe an apron, or, you know, like a shirt tucked in, and an apron around her waist. Um, she was a white woman. She walked down to the bottom of the hill in my yard, and I turned around to try and get people's attention that she was there. I was concerned the mood started to get dark. And um, then when I turned back, um, she had hanged herself in, at, the, at the bottom of the hill in my backyard. <clears throat> and nobody cared. Nobody noticed. Everybody just kept going about their busy ways. And then the dream sort of turned dark and then we all had to cancel the wedding because something happened. Um, but nobody would mention a girl at the bottom of the hill. Um, so, I don't know what that means, but to me, when I woke up, um, I just got this chill, like somebody walked into my dream that wasn't supposed to be there. The dream wasn't supposed to turn in that direction. Nobody else in the dream could see her, um, even noticed her. Um, and so I feel like that's probably the closest I've ever gotten to experiencing, 
um, something like that. Um, I don't know if anybody else has ever had this happen to them, but um, it really stuck with me. Uh, so I just wanted to share it with you guys. All right. Thanks. So that was Christina. I want to thank her for sharing her story. And uh, she's kind of, she threw it out there. was curious if anybody else has ever had this experience, so, something similar. She's curious if anyone else has ever had a ghost in their dream, as she a, calls it. A ghost in her dream. Now, the first thing I'll say that annoys me is once again, it's sleep involved. Why can't people just see ghosts when they're awake more? Some people do. They say I know. They do. And those are my favorite because then you can count out the fact we've done dream visits. We've done sleep paralysis. So many things. People have just woken up when they see a ghost. They're just falling asleep, which, as we've said many times, could just be because your guard is down. That subconscious level is a little more open. The antenna is open, if you will. Right. Um, but this is an, an interesting one, something I'd never heard of. And I looked into it and it's actually sort of a common thing. And it's known as a dream invasion. Huh. And that woman would be a dream invader. And uh, there are a lot of weird dream things that happen. There's like a shared dream, which, you know, when there's a close connection between two people, uh, you can have, you know, either you have the same exact dream or, you know, you both have a dream where there was, you know, a, a woman in white in your dream. And maybe you didn't have everything the same, but you had the same thing. That's a shared dream. Those are somewhat common, not very uh, and then when it comes to dream invasions, people say there's intentional dream invasions where it's like a, a demon or a creature or a spirit who's kind of choosing to enter your dream. And then other people believe that others, living people, not spirits, have the ability to sort of project themselves into your dreams to, you know, uh, give you either lust dreams or terror dreams to sort of torture you or to plant thoughts in your head, which is basically inception. Right. Uh, I don't know if this was any of that, as it's just, like she said, it seemed more of just like a ghost kind of doing its own thing. Um, and then there's also dreamscaping, which is the rare ability to enter other people's dreams and have influence over them. And it's said that the user has the power to control whatever happens in the dream and can even leave or enter when they want. Now, I'm not hmm. sure if I believe in that. That, again, is sort of the inception idea where yeah. I could go to sleep and jump into your dreams and mess with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she had said that they were in this place. She was hearing a lot about ghosts and stuff. And uh, it, it's interesting to me because you never know if a dream is just a dream. I actually, maybe three nights ago, had a dream where I was not in... I was in a house. It wasn't my house. I walked through the hallway. As I turn to the left, I see our grandmother on our mother's side wearing a wedding dress. She's looking super pale, staring at me. I walk through the hallway, turn, look at her, keep going. And then it hits me. I'm like, what the hell? I lean back out and she was gone. It was super startling, super weird. I woke up, I had a chill and I was like, what the hell was that? And it was weird because... Like it was my grandmother. She wasn't menacing. She's, I don't think she's trying to scare me or whatever. So I think that mine was probably just a dream. I don't think it was a dream invasion. On a note though, you barely knew that grandmother. That's true. Just as I didn't know her husband who I had a dream about him, which I shared in the dream visitation episode. That's true. So who knows what it is? Dreams are so weird and confusing. It pisses me off. Yeah, man. they are. It's so hard to pin down. I, I shared this story once way back, but I, it actually ended up getting cut from the episode. But one time I sp 
spent a night in a an old hotel down in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Great place. And I remember having dreams during the night where I felt like there was a, a female presence in the room. Uh, and I didn't really know who it was or what it was. I just felt like there was a female besides my fiance who was in the room. But there was somebody else in the room. And it was just this eerie feeling in my dream. Uh, the next morning I woke up and the only time this is the only time I ever experienced anything somewhat ghostly. The coffee pot on the table suddenly flew off the table as if someone had like slapped it and there was nobody standing there. I, I peeked around the corner and didn't, didn't see anyone. And this lady came in and said, must have been the ghost. And I was like, tell me about this ghost. And she said that it's the ghost of a, a, a girl who haunts the building. So and was that girl in your dream or you were just feeling her presence? I don't know. No, no, no. I didn't actually see anyone or talk to anyone. I just felt the presence of a female in the room other than my fiance. Interesting. Now, again, it could just be a dream thing. Uh, if I'd be lying if I said I didn't go down there, like, come on, see a ghost, see a ghost. It's interesting. And it's interesting. The way she describes it definitely makes it sound like this woman kind of just marched through her dream. She was even a ghost in the dream where other people couldn't see her. Super creepy that she went and hung herself. Uh, and I did some research and I was able to find Samuel Hatfield, who's a mystic, psychic, intuitive, spiritual life coach, amongst other things. You can go to samuelhatfield.com, had an article, and I'll read a quick part of it, which it's dream invasion versus nightmare. And he says, dream invasions can often look or feel similar to a nightmare. The differences between them may be subtle, but noticeable. Nightmares are typically formulated around a personal stressor that is occurring in your physical life. These may be mental stresses or physical stresses, such as illness or injury. Nightmares are typically self-contained and abstract. Experiences are vague and images often lack specific detail. Dream invasion, on the other hand, often has great detail, particularly when it comes to interaction with other beings or people within the dream. These interactions are often persistent, do not shift or change, and are very logical. In most nightmares, this is not the case, and events are often very irrational. So that fits with what Christina said, where her dream was logical, she's at a party, Woman kind of cuts through the middle of the party. She's like, who's this lady? Why is no one else seeing her? What's going on here? Turns back, and now the woman is hanging from a tree. Very creepy mental image. And then the party's ruined, and things start getting dark. And she remembered it all, and it's, it's, you know, it's logical. It followed the same timeline. So it fits with uh, at least Samuel's definition of a dream invasion. Um, so once again, it's one of these damn dream situations where it's hard to say what was what. Now, here's a question, and I know you, you don't have an answer to this because you, you heard the story the same way I did, but I at least want to know how you perceived it. When she said that she was talking with her sister and this woman walked in between them, what do you picture? I basically thought she meant the person cut in between the two of them. Like physically? Right. Like not just like, walked in the space between them, not like stepped through them both. Okay, because that's kind of what I thought. I thought that, that this person kind of like passed through them. But I guess, I don't know, you'd have to ask if you can get in touch with Christina again and see if you can clarify that. Because that, that'd be interesting if she passed through them, because then she would have the qualities of a ghost in the dream. I will look into that and we will drop in the update. So I reached out to Christina to find out about our questions. And she responded and she said, Well, that would be extra creepy if she walked through my physical being in the dream. In the dream, she walked between us. So my interpretation was correct. Uh, this woman just sort of split between the two of them. Didn't physically walk through them, just walked 
between the space to which they were speaking. But then Christina adds something interesting. She said, In the dream, she walked between us. But in reality, I imagine she walked near or through me while I was sleeping somehow. Does that make sense? There was no way to know, obviously, just feelings. And the feeling I got was that this person didn't belong there in her dream. And she literally walked through my mind while I was sleeping. So that's sort of a interesting way to look at it that we didn't even discuss was that maybe the woman in the dream, the ghost, didn't just invade the dream, but she was actually in the physical space near Christina while she was sleeping and her presence in the room or if she physically passed through, as in ghostly, passed through Christina as she was sleeping, that projected into the dream. So another cool element and a cool theory as to what might have happened from Christina. Regardless, to help out, Christina, if you've had a similar experience with a ghost in a dream, if you've had a dream invasion, a dream invader, let us know and we'll let her know. Interestingly enough, I just thought of this now. Um, I, I would say, actually, a lot of people in my dreams, mostly they're either people who have died or people that I don't know. Well, then how do you know that they're not dead if you don't know them? Well, that's true. They could be dead and I just don't know them. But they're people who I, I assume I invented. I invent people a lot. Okay. <laughs> no, most people, it's, it's rare that I have someone in my dreams that I, I know and see on a regular basis. I don't know. And how does that tie into this? Because possibly I have hundreds of dream invaders oh, a year. And you're, and you're never aware of it. And I'm just never aware of it because I never thought of it till now. So who, who knows? Dreams. Dreams. Fuck them. <laughs> ah. The Brothers. Mysterio. Um, yeah, so those were uh, just a whole variety of topics there that we kind of uh, talked about, cruised around. We might have got off the beaten path a little bit, but hey, thanks so much for taking the time, tweeting us, emailing us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for reaching out. Really makes all the difference on the show. Uh, once again, feel free to let us know if there's experiences you've had that you want to share for the show, or if there's some sort of topic you'd like to hear us discuss, debate, or do a whole episode on. Hit us up, Mysterium Bros on Twitter or the brothers mysterium at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening. One more thing I just want to add too is, uh, Oh man, not after my tag out. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. But anyway, there's also a lot of things out there that we've probably never even heard of. So if you want to open our eyes to it, that'd be awesome. And this Q and a type episode is probably going to be a rolling thing. So yeah, every now and then these will crop up again. Maybe your questions will be on there. So anyway, uh, as always, thanks for listening. Next time on The Brothers Mysterium. Once again, just, you know, there's a lot of stories of ghosts using technology to communicate. It's too coincidental to think that my alarm would go off soon after my aunt had passed away. So my sister and I were just staring at the phone in disbelief. This to me is less paranormal in a ghostly sense, but like almost like alternate dimension. And it must be like 10, 15 minutes after we know that he died. And all of a sudden, a cell phone starts ringing. Slenderman news clips are from ABC's Nightline and ABC's 2020 special, Out of the Woods, from September of 2014. 
and the Slenderman interrogation clips are from CNN and Anderson Cooper 360. Additional Slenderman clips are from the YouTube channel Top 5's Finest Video, 5 Slenderman Caught on Camera and Spotted in Real Life, NBC affiliate WLWT News 5 Ohio, Newsy.com, and the Tampa Bay Times. The Candyman trailer clip is from the 1992 horror slasher flick Candyman, produced by Propaganda Films and Candyman Films, and distributed by TriStar Pictures. The Summoning of Biggie Smalls clip is from South Park, episode 11 of season 10, entitled Hell on Earth 2006. And the Carl Sagan clip comes from the BBC television series The Sky at Night, featuring Patrick Moore. That episode originally aired in 1974. Additional movie clips come from the 1995 remake of Village of the Damned, produced by Alphaville Films and distributed by Universal Pictures. The Shining from 1980, produced by the Producer Circle Company, Peregrine Productions, Hawk Films, and distributed by Warner Bros. Crop Circle Video Exposed clips are from the Nat Geo documentary, The Truth Behind Crop Circles. And for some odd reason, if you watch that on Netflix, that guy has an American accent, but the one we used he has a British accent. Uh, speaking of two different versions, clips of Michael Scott are from The Office, American version, season four, episode one, entitled Fun Run. Ectoplasm clips are from 1984's Ghostbusters, produced by Black Rhino Productions and Delphi Productions, and distributed by Columbia Pictures. And the clip of Dr. Van Sandy comes from The Open Mind Show with Anita Burns. You can check that out at openmindshow.com. Black Eyed Kid clips come from Timothy Alberino's The Alberino Analysis, reporting from stevequail.com. Clips of Judd Nelson discussing crop circles are from Unmasked, Exposing the Secrets of Deception, featuring Judd Nelson as the host and originally airing on May 17th, 1998. Fire in the Sky from 1993, produced by Joe Wazan and Todd Black and distributed by Paramount Pictures. Finally, the Dave Thomas clip is from a 1989 Wendy's employee trainee video. If you want to help us out and support the show, the best way to do that is to review and rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you have. And you can always reach out to us through any of our social media platforms. Twitter, at Mysterium Bros. We're also at Mysterium Bros on Instagram. You can email us at thebrothersmysterium at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the brothers mysterium shoot us a message and give us a like while you're there as always i want to thank you for listening